Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. And today my very special guest uh, is calling from a place that I'd actually never even heard of until a few minutes ago. Um, is Kevin Kellerman uh, calling from Kelowna, BC, up in the western part of Canada. So, uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Hey, yeah, man. Super excited to be here. Uh, and Kevin and I have been kind of going back and forth, uh, getting this interview scheduled, and I'm really glad that we found the time today because I think you guys are going to find his insight really interesting. His uh, his experience as a type one, uh, not only as a type one diabetic, but also as a uh, mixed martial artist. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to our our listeners who may not be as familiar with you? And, um, you know, see, tell that diagnosis story and let's get this thing kicked off. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, I'm 23 years old. I've just turned 23 last weekend. Uh, I've been diabetic for pretty close to 20 years to the day. Um, so I kind of grew up with it as a part of everyday life, which I think personally is almost a little bit easier than um, getting diagnosed later in life just due to the natural transitions. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, if you don't mind me asking, what uh, what's the date of your anniversary? Your uh, your twenty year anniversary? To be totally honest, Matt, I don't know. I want to say it's it's February, March, April. I, uh, to be honest, man, it doesn't really make a difference to me, so I don't really care. <laughs> right. Um, no, I get it. The, yeah, that date has not too much significance to me. So, because you were diagnosed so young, I doubt I doubt you remember anything about the day you're diagnosed or really anything about the years, maybe months following that? Yeah, not really, man. You know, I, I've had it retold to me a fair amount of times from family members, parents, grandparents, um, et cetera. Just, you know, typical symptoms that everyone has, uh, peeing, not sleeping, uh, pumping in fluids, pumping out fluids, just kind of deal. But in terms of like actual recollection or uh, anything, no, I, I don't really remember much. Yeah, and I think that's not un- that's not uncommon. Um, it's funny you were saying you've had this story retold to you. I just imagine like for years, like grandparents and extended family would just talk about it incessantly. Um, not too much, man. You know, to be honest, uh, the times we've talked about it, as me and me asking a couple times, um, or it comes up just in conversation with my parents, but. You know, we don't really go out of our way to, to, to talk about it or put too much attention to it, man. Like, at the end of the day, I'm still going to accomplish what I'm going to accomplish, do what I'm going to do, uh, live my life, like, as I want to live my life. I'm a, I'm a really health, healthy individual as is. Um, it's not like eating a low-carb diet or skipping the burgers and milkshakes is anything I wouldn't do if I wasn't diabetic anyway, uh, to be totally honest. 
Well, and I think the, you know, you were talking about it being a little bit more difficult to adjust your life if you're diagnosed later. Um, but I think too, you know, it's interesting not knowing a life without diabetes. And I'm, I'm kind of in that boat. I've, uh, I was diagnosed when I was 16. I'm 29 now. So I'm 13 years out, uh, as of January 1st, 2018, that'll be 13 years on the dot. Um, and I remember life without it, but I don't remember like the nuances. Like, I don't really remember like, Oh, I'm eating this piece of cake and I'm not worried about giving myself an insulin shot for it or testing my blood sugar because I, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know at that point. So for me, you know, I always, I always think when, when you're a younger kid, um, and you don't really do anything for yourself, um, you know, diabetes sort of forces you to grow up and takes you into that mentality really quickly. But also there's just a lot of extra things to think about. What was, do you remember any specific instances when you were growing up where, you know, you just, you felt like you were a little bit different or you were doing it a different routine or you didn't understand why you had to do some of the things you had to do? Um, not really, man. You know, I always, through grade school, I always understood like, okay, I got to take my insulin. K. If I start feeling funny or my blood sugar is low, I got to get a juice or some simple carbs in me. Um, to be totally honest, man, like I didn't have the tightest control as a diabetic before when I was younger. Um, as some people do, um, definitely not the smartest thing. Um, I almost feel like as I was younger, I didn't take it as seriously as I do now as an adult. Um, so to speak now, now I wasn't like, I didn't neglect it or by any means. And I definitely didn't have my parents neglecting by any means when they were still caring for me. But I feel like it wasn't given the attention by myself that it needed to be. And as I transitioned through those teenage years, um, I especially didn't give it the attention it needed. It was only till I was probably about 18 or 19, and I actually had a very bad fight wherein I was trying to cut weight with uh, insulin, still uh, manual pen injections at the time, and I would just ha half my uh, basal, uh, my long-acting insulin at the time to avoid a low in the cage, and with the adrenaline and everything, that's actually not what I needed to do, so it made my blood sugars go very, very, very high. Um, not into DKA, but, you know, I don't doubt being close to that. And it just came down to the point where I was like, I need to fix this so I can compete properly and at my full potential, or I need to stop fighting because I don't want to come in second place and waste my time being half the athlete I could be. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, now we're really getting into this, uh, kind of into the details of your professional career as a, as a mixed martial artist and, a, and an MMA fighter. So always the thing that struck me, I, I used to work for USA boxing. Um, and I, and I think the thing that was always struck me about any sort of fight sport is the intense amount of like cardio training, first of all, that you don't, that you don't really see. And you kind of see maybe like slow-mo montages of people doing road work, but like the amount of cardio that goes into that is just astounding. Um, and number two is the weight is weight cutting and just getting, uh, you know, your, your weight on track for a fight. And for somebody with diabetes, um, I imagine that presents a whole nother round of challenges just because, you know, you got to drink, you know, you got to drink an orange juice sometimes or a Coke if you're, you're having a low and you're really in need of something quick. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes when you're cutting weight, that can be, it can throw a wrench in the equation. So how, first, I want to go all the way back to how did you get into mixed martial arts and MMA? Um, and, you know, what have those challenges been like as you're kind of cutting weight and getting ready for a fight? Uh, specifically, what, any, and in any stories that stand out? Yeah, so I got into MMA just kind of when I was 15 years old. I started taking an interest in it. Um, it got popular on TV. And, and I'm only, two, I just turned 23 last weekend. So really being, that was only about seven years ago, I believe. Seven, eight years ago. Um, so it wasn't really that, that long ago. Uh, it definitely wasn't yesterday, but it definitely wasn't 20 years ago either. Um, I just kind of saw it on TV and, and, and thought it was cool. And uh, found a gym I liked. I loved actually. I liked the atmosphere. I liked how hard everyone was working. And just I started, or sorry, I started. Yeah. So every day after school, when all like all my buddies were getting girlfriends, hanging out after school, getting up to no good, uh, yada yada, I would just hop on the bus to the MMA gym with one of my good buddies who started training at the same time as me. So I'd finish school at 3.30, hop on the bus. It was about an hour bus right away, get there at 4.15, 4.30-ish, and uh, hop on the bus at 8.30 to head home, be in bed by 9.30, kind of rinse and repeat, and it just became a routine for me. So day in, day out, it was just as simple as waking up, brushing your teeth, eating breakfast, going to school. It was going to the MMA gym afterwards, and I kind of just fell in love with it. I liked the progression. I liked how you could, like, express yourself in different ways and kind of build your own skill set to what you saw interesting. And I also really, really like the, the constant growth. You know what I mean? Like you, it, it's something where you see the natural progression and you're getting better. And it like there's a direct correlation with how much work you put in to how much better you get. It's not up to somebody else. There's no boss above me saying, well, you did better on this project, but I like this person more, so they're getting the promotion. Everything was left up to me. What I put in directly came, directly showed. Um, so that's what that's what really got me hooked on the sport at such a young age. Um, in terms of cutting weight, I started fighting amateur boxing matches when I was 16 or 17, um, and we just wouldn't cut weight for those. We would maybe diet a little bit, um, but nothing like, you would see getting in the sauna, losing 10 pounds. Um, and then being so young, I always had a fairly easy time cutting weight up until my first amateur title fight, which was two or three Septembers ago, three now, I think, where I would just kind of cut the carbs out at dinner time, and that would throw off about five, six pounds. I maybe had to lose one or two in the sauna, so nothing that, that crazy. As I got older... Um, in July, actually, I had the toughest weight cut of my life where I was between the diet and the sauna looking at losing 22 pounds. Wow. And, and that, that's the one where I was really like, this isn't good. Um, I felt it in my performance the next day in the cage, just flat, tired. I had a hard time firing up. My head was kind of funky. Um, and I actually had a net, another match scheduled for t September, so which was a fairly quick turnaround. I fought in July. And I fought again in September, and I actually went on my way for the fight in September to negotiate it moving up a full weight class, just so I didn't have to deal with that stuff anymore, um, which turned out that was okay, um, which I think is the way it should be. The guy I was fighting was a little bit bigger than me, 
I was walking around at about 150, 157 for that fight, or, and he was walking around low 160, so I didn't give up too much size to him. Um, but I felt absolutely 10 times better getting in the cage. Great. And I think like, you know, that's a really, it's a really interesting point to see the difference. Right. And, you know, one thing, uh, I like about what your description about MMA, where you said, you know, you can immediately see the results and get the feedback from how hard you train and how much you prepare. Um, and diabetes is kind of like that as well, right? Like you, you get instant feedback. I like to talk about people with diabetes as like little data scientists um, because you are, especially kids, you know, they're testing their blood sugar. They're taking that response, plugging it into, you know, if, if it's before a meal, how much food they're going to eat, they're going to know their insulin ratio and then, you know, adjust for what their um, blood sugar was. And then you're going to give yourself a dose. And then immediately after you have results and feedback to deal with. So, I think that's that's really that's really an interesting way to look at it. Um, for those of us who have never trained for a fight sport, whether it's amateur boxing or you know professional MMA, what's that process like mentally and physically? Like when I know like, and I think I've always tried to explain it this way in layman's terms because I don't know. I've never been under the lights in a fight, but. It's it's two people training as hard as they can to fight each other. What is it like when you get to that final point and, like you said, that f- you're getting that feedback of, oh, I am ready, or maybe, oh, I'm not. Well, um, I think most most people assume it's two people training as as hard as they can to fight each other. Um, realistically, until you get to the higher levels, it, it, it's really not like that, especially going through the, the amateur days. Um, oh, here in BC, I fought and, and won the title for the best ranked amateur organization in Canada um, that sends multiple fighters to the UFC and high-level shows, um, a, a couple fighters being my teammates uh, that graduated from the amateurs in battlefield all the way up to the UFC. Um but really, it, it, it comes down just like to anything, how much you want it, right? For me, like I said, it was it was no spare time, especially when I was younger, no girlfriends, just finished task A, which was school, and all my spare time going to the gym, staying in the gym. There might be other people, and wh- when I was 17, 18, 19, I was fighting guy. I fought a guy that was 37 years old, um, beat him by unanimous decision, um, won every round, but... So maybe that's a different case where I'm putting in every spare second of my time into the sport and he's maybe putting one hour a day in and then hanging out with his girlfriend and then going to a movie and then really he's having a piece of pizza and I'm having chicken and broccoli. So like I'm trying to put every ounce of effort down to like what I eat, when I eat, when I'm drinking my water, like every little micro factor I can control to be the best, I'm going to take full advantage of that. And I just don't know if some other athletes, until you get to the highest level, are willing to do that. And that's where I believe like the dedication and, and discipline shows. Same thing um, sometimes with managing diabetes. You know what I mean? If if you know you have, for for me, for example, I have a tough time eating sushi. Um, and some days I really want sushi, and my body's sore. My bodies are going out for sushi. Um, and I, I feel like my body needs it and I really want it. So some days, you know, I'll, I'll feel like I'll go have that sushi. But then instead of sitting around uh, watching a movie later that night, 
when I know my blood sugar is going to peak through the roof no matter how I try to split my insulin up, I'm going to get my ass on the treadmill and I'm going to run or walk or do a little bit of exercise so I can help control that peak, right? So I'm using like my discipline to help get the results I want, similar to MMA. And, and you know, sometimes that result that you want is a reward, right? Um, I think I, I read this book, um, I think it was called The Power of Habit, and it was talking about, you know, when you're changing behaviors, you have to, you know, change your pleasure and pain centers, uh, you know, and get pleasure from going through those, you know, runs to prepare yourself to get that second pleasure of, you know, enjoying sushi in your case. Uh, I often have a, a tough time with my uh, measurement of sushi because I always eat more than I plan on and it's kind of tough to count the rice and it's not always the same. It's one of those great diabetes, uh, you know, mysteries. I think pizza, Chinese food, and sushi are my big three in terms of I never really know exactly how many carbs to give. But I had Chinese food this Sunday night and I fortunately got it correct. Uh, my my after meal blood sugars were right on point. So really uh, – Pat had to pat myself on back on on the back for that one. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your discipline because uh, I'm a huge fan of like really dedicated athletes. I was a big Kobe Bryant, uh, a lot of respect for him as an athlete and like his dedication to the craft and really understanding, um, you know, what he could put his body through and his mental toughness. How do you balance that with, like you said, you know, wanting to enjoy yourself and being kind of like a regular person? Is that more of just a your goal is to be the best? And you're willing to sacrifice those sort of short-term comforts for the long-term goal, um, or you know, how do you and how do you same thing, same question regarding diabetes? Are you super relentlessly focused there, or do you have your times where you know you go a little bit easier on yourself? Um, you know, Matt, it, it's never really like being a regular person for me. Like, I don't really think diabetes like hinders anything about me. If anything, it it, it forces me to make smarter and better decisions for my body um i never really I, you know sometimes like darker thoughts used to cross my brain like oh fuck man like i can't or excuse my language but like i can't do this because oh my diabetes is gonna this or that or you know what i mean like i try to do everything in my power to to stay controlled of it but like if i want to go out for some frozen yogurt on sunday night which is like sunday is the day i kind of give myself to like I feel like I'm always firing at a thousand miles per hour all the time, trying to make the most out of every second. Like if someone's walking f slow in front of me at Walmart, I get irritated. You know what I mean? Because time is the one thing you're never going to get back. So Sundays I kind of just like to chill out and, and, and do what I want to do when I want to do it. And sometimes like if that involves eating a little bit of frozen yogurt or, or a blizzard, maybe um, then I will. And I, I come to realize that like, as hard as I try sometimes just it, it is going to throw my blood sugar out of range and that's just the way it goes now am I having a am I having a blizzard every day after lunch and then eating a hamburger for dinner time with french fries and a coke no but like I, I'm kind of I'm kind of being very grateful and when I pick my pick my cheats and then I'm not like kicking myself about it because I, I, I found I used to uh I used to do that a lot, you know what I mean? Always try to be always in the zone, in the range. I read uh, Dr. Bursting's Diabetes Solutions and um, that big textbook of a, of a book there. But right. um, I just realized I'll, some of those uh, – sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, uh, I want to – before you keep going because this is really good, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about that book because I see a lot of people reading it. Um, I hate the name. 
first of all, because it's like, (laughs) I just don't like it. I think it sounds like there's something wrong to be fixed anyway. Um, but you know, for, for you, like, uh, and you were talking about, you know, you were always worried about the tight control. You read the book. Did you find the book to be, you know, to give you the information that you maybe hadn't had before or give you a system to use? Um, what, what was your experience with it? That book was kind of a double-edged sword for me. Um, I found some parts of that book that were very useful and enlightened me a little bit. And I found some parts of the book that were just irritating, caused me to stress too much, and just not practical for real life. No one's going to sit there and test their blood sugars every five minutes and see the trend. And also, uh, most glucometers aren't accurate enough to to work like that. Um, So some of the theories I found were a little far-fetched in that book. Um, but as I get older and read more and try to expand my mind, I realize not everything in every book is going to be a home run. Um, there's good points to take out of every book and you can't let the other points get into your head a little bit too, too much. Um, no, that's, yeah. and that's really great. I think mature, very great advice. Um, you know, it's kind of like in Mark Cuban's book, how to win at the sport of business. He was talking about jobs and failed companies he's like every he's like no matter what the job is like you'll learn something from it i think the same way about books like no matter if it's good bad uh all good all bad what you know or or whatever the case is in between always good things for you to carry out of it from that experience uh to go on through the next thing so i i interrupted you for that but uh i often haven't had too many guests to discuss that book with so um, thank you for doing that. Um, you were talking oh, that's about, totally okay. yeah, you were talking about, um, finding the balance of, you know, not being too strict control and, and, you know, setting yourself up for success. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who like, um, I, 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 I like long-term gratification. So I don't like instant grat. Well, not to say I don't like who doesn't like instant gratification, but I really, I really like working for something and then seeing the results opposed to just getting the, getting the results handed to me or like, okay, for example, if you get a $500 bonus, um, some people might want to, um, take their girlfriend up. You were to just talk about Vancouver. So they might want to take them up to Whistler. Say they get that bonus Tuesday. They're right away on their lunch break. Going to hop on book reservations for Whistler get up there and blow that 500 bucks and then probably even lose a little bit more money because uh, who stays within their budget when they're going on vacation to a place <laughs> like Whistler, right? Nobody. Opposed to a guy like me who I might, let's take that 500 bucks and let's try to make some more money off it. Uh, let's maybe save it up and try to put it in an investment or let's loan it out to someone and get a, get an interest rate on that or you know what I mean? So I'm putting that money away but in the long term, I'm I'm getting a little I'm I'm gaining some gratif- like long term gratification from it. Uh, so same thing with blood sugar management, right? I'm not I would rather wake up, crave oatmeal, which also gives me uh, the craziest hard time on my blood sugar for whatever reason. So I would rather wake up, crave oatmeal, wake up with a good blood sugar, cook some eggs, have one piece of toast, and maybe cook some bacon. Which I know, I, like I totally is totally fine with my body. I can carb count it, and then feel good for the rest of the day, right? Go into train my morning training session with a good blood sugar, and have that as my reward, opposed to instantly eating the oatmeal, feeling good for ten minutes because I'm happy I ate the oatmeal, then dealing with the high, frustrated 
uh, blood sugar going into training. Well, man, you know, it's, it's super interesting to hear you hear that perspective because I think we live in, you know, I, one of my good friends and I joke, we have 2017 quick fix culture, right? Um, we have instant gratification around us all the time. We can think about whatever we can wonder about something, instantly grab our phone, Google it and find out what it is, right? We can reach out to anyone on the earth literally, and they might respond, you know, um, and I think the, you know, part of the, the consequences of that is that we forget about the process um, and we forget that incremental progress is really the secret to any sort of development. And the key to that is discipline and mastery of self, which are two very non quick fix, non instant gratification type things. Um, it's, it's cool to me that you describe yourself as a guy that, you know, you take that bonus and you invest it back in yourself or put it to work for you some other way. Um, because I think that is what really, um, spawns high growth results. You know, you can, uh, you know, $500 here, go, go out to dinner. Um, you know, sure. Those things are nice. Uh, but if you can position yourself and build a foundation for something big, um, you know, I, I love the, the betting on yourself and the, Hey, I, I know if I have this now I can turn it into something real later. Um, that's just a cool, just to interrupt you there real quick too. I, 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 in that in this book I'm reading, like we talked about uh, off the podcast, there uh, betting uh, like they talk a lot about betting on yourself because it's it's the only thing you can control. You know what I mean? I can throw ten thousand bucks into Bitcoin, and what happens with Bitcoin isn't up to me at all. But I can throw ten thousand bucks into myself, going training at different gyms, going to the highest level strength and conditioning coach, going to the highest level dietitian. Um, putting it into books and all that comes into myself so then i can use that information to make me better into the stuff that i can control like my fights where i put my investments how i make money in the future etc um because i like like you said like i don't hear too many people touch on that point at all yeah i mean it's interesting you know one of my favorite athletes right now is uh joel Embiid, plays for the sixers in in the nba uh, because his, the GM that drafted him famously tweeted, trust the process when he got hurt. He got, he got hurt very early on in his NBA career, didn't really play his first three years, and now he's like one of the best big men in the NBA. Uh, and he would always tweet, trust the process, trust the process. And it was a, it's sort of a joke to him, uh, but it's really not because it's like, you know, if you really do trust the process and, st- and get away from those instant gratification, quick results that are maybe unreasonable – uh, and set yourself a long-term uh, goal. I think like Tony Robbins says, uh, is a great quote. Uh, Most people underestimate or overestimate what they can do in a year, uh, or o- overestimate what they can do in a week, and underestimate what they could do in a decade. Um, and you know, if you look at things with a bigger long-term vision, you know, you can find yourself. Uh, you know, the progress that you've made uh, is pretty significant. Uh, and I'll say one more story before I turn it back over to you. Uh, one of my good friends, we had a similar conversation. He was like, you know, if you play the guitar 20 minutes every day for a year, you can play pretty much any open mic kind of gig. You'd know a lot of songs. You'd, you'd be able to, uh, you know, go walk in anywhere and sit in and play. Uh, but if you did that every day for 10 years, you'd be one of the best guitarists that, you, that you've met. You know, there'd be a very, you could literally play with anyone. And I thought about that. I was like, you know what? It, that consistency is something that, you know, as a culture, I think we lack 
um, just because there's so many things going on and we're always so distracted. I'm preaching to the choir right now because I am the worst at being distracted. But for you, like, and, and tying this all the way back, loosely tying this back to diabetes some way, like, um, how much is that instant gratification versus long-term view affect you from a diabetes perspective? You talked earlier about changing your approach to preparing for competition. Uh, what were the adjustments that you've made and how have you, um, you know, tried to look at the bigger picture? Um, I'll come at this two ways. Like I, before I used to, I used to have a lot of deviation in my blood sugars. Uh, so I used to be like, hi, and then I would go flying back down low and then I would be nowhere in between. So one thing I found that really helped me was just, especially with the power of, of, uh, CGM continuous glucose monitoring now. Uh, I can literally check my blood sugar whenever on a five-minute basis, right? So I can see just trying to sit at those lower numbers every day, little by little over time, not trying to go from being at maybe like a 12 millimoles per liter to, to a uh, five and a half, but just let's try to always sit at like seven opposed to a 10 every day. You know what I mean? L- little, little things like that I found help improve like my, obviously my A1C, my blood sugar, and then in turn, my energy, how I felt about myself, um, just everything across the board. So li- little things like that, um, same thing, having eggs instead of oatmeal, just l- like I said, like just being obsessed at like getting a little bit ahead everywhere I can because that stuff's going to like compile itself. Um, I do the same thing too. I, I'm, I'm one of the few guys uh, in like – where I train and, and like um, across the sport too. That's pretty much doing doing the same routine day in day out. A lot of guys will transition to a different intense routine when they have a fight coming up and kind of sit around, not do too much, train when they feel like it when they don't have a fight coming up. But I'm one of those guys who still, for example, with like my strength and conditioning time in the gym, I, it, it's only one hour in the morning twice a week so two hours a week but that I make sure to absolutely do that every single week and and grow just little by little so that I'm so far ahead at the same time next year right and I think uh I've been very fortunate to have like conversations with uh John Stockton NBA NBA legend John Stockton um a few times and his number one thing when guys like who you know, were athletes in their early twenties, like stop playing competitively. Like they just immediately get out of shape and he always laughs at them. And like, he's like, Oh, you look fat or oh, just drink that beer. Uh, and because his number one thing is if you never get out of shape, you don't have to worry about getting in shape. And that, that's a huge part with fighting as well. Um, I feel like, like taking a go at this thing as a, as a profession, I can't afford to miss any opportunity that could possibly get me ahead. So constantly being in shape gives me uh, or allows me to take like half of my fights. A, a normal period for a fight is six, eight, 10, 12 weeks notice. I've been able to take half my fights on three, four, five week notices and pr- probably five, six, seven fights have been offered to me on less than 10 days notice that I've said yes to because I'm in shape ready to go I don't need to get ready and the other ended ended up backing all but it's just one of those things where like always being in shape not having to get in shape 
So you can take those opportunities when they're presented to themselves. It, it is so like I feel important. Like if, if this is something you really want to do with your life and all your time, and you want it that badly, like you can't afford to miss those opportunities. Well, if someone else is is out there, and they'll damn sure take those opportunities to get ahead of you. And I think that's super important in terms of reputation as well, because if you have that reputation, those opportunities are going to come to you because people start to know like, oh, yeah, Kevin's ready to fight. Uh, We had a guy drop, you know, uh, oh, a guy dropped out of the fight 10 days before. Who are we going to find? Oh, well, this guy's always in shape. Let's see what he's at. Let's see if he's up for it. Um, Absolutely. So for you and I want to I want to make sure that we kind of close this interview down a little bit because you I know have to get to training this evening uh what's what's next for you what are you looking forward to in your uh in your fighting career um what's what's sort of on the horizon for you um i fought twice back to back in the summertime so i did a july fight and then a september fight after being on the shelf and not competing for 14 months there um so i'm still in the gym twice a day uh, just growing my skills and progressing, but I'm taking a little bit of time to just kind of sharpen some of the areas where I'm weaker at and wait for a good fight to come across the table towards me. I've had a couple offers. Um, they're just not the right, not what I need at this point in my career, which is okay. I'm still so young in this sport. Um, and then I got a little, another exciting tidbit. Uh, we don't currently have a show where I'm from, uh, in my hometown. We're always going, somewhere else to fight other people in their hometowns in front of their communities. So in the new year, uh, we're looking at getting a show together in my hometown where I live. Um, so that's something I'm definitely looking to be a part of and compete on as well. Oh, that's exciting. Great for you guys. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. To get, get a little uh, show for the home fans. That's exciting. Um, I have I have one question for you um, that I always ask my guests, but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna save that because I know you have a couple of questions for me uh, that you wanted to ask as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like we kind of touched about a little bit earlier. I like to like learn at least something from everything as I can, whether it's a book, even if I don't like it, or uh, just people that I come across and meet. So. Uh, a couple questions that came for you is how do you come up with the idea for your show here? Um, so for me, I remember distinctly, I was, I was traveling in Colombia, uh, South America, and I was in Bogota and Bogota is a very dangerous city for foreigners at times. And I am very tall. So I stick out like a sore thumb and I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) I don't speak Spanish. So, um, there were times when I had to just stay in my hotel room because my translator couldn't go with me somewhere and I was there for like two weeks. So I had a lot of time to think, um, and I thought that, um, you know, in that time, I, I remember this story about uh, a guy in college, and I, and I referenced this on my – the full story is on an episode that Craig Casper came on the podcast and did, I believe, episode 62. Um, but basically, uh, a guy in college heard me mention my diabetes in class and knew that I was a basketball player and an athlete. Um, and he was like, oh, I didn't know – uh, you know, people with diabetes played sports like that, but you, I've seen you play. Like, obviously there's nothing wrong. Uh, my little cousin just got diagnosed with di- type one and his doctor told him that he shouldn't run triathlons. So would you mind emailing him and going back and forth? And so I did. And I basically told him that my doctors told me that as long as I took care of my diabetes, that pretty much I could do anything I wanted. 
Uh, and we talked a couple times, and then uh, I didn't hear from him for a few months, but then I just got this email uh, with no subject line, um, and it was just a photo, and it was a photo of him with a participation medal after he finished his first triathlon. And just the feeling that I got from that, uh, like it's hard to describe. Like I still, I still remember it so vividly, and I actually still have the email. Um, and I, so, you know, that, that one had been about, it had been about five years since that had happened. And, uh, when I was in that hotel room, I just remembered that I was like, you know what, I'm probably not going to be able to be the best podcaster or the best marketer or the best business person or whatever it is broad. But I was like, if I can just own, like embrace who I am and find a community, maybe I can be at the top of, of something around there, do something really well that would help people. Cause I really wanted to help people. That's, that's one of my biggest passions. I'm always happiest when I'm helping people. And so, um, I was like, okay, well, I, I don't want to write a blog every week. That's a, that seems like way too much work. So I wonder if I could do a podcast. Podcasts seem fun. Uh, so I just decided to do it. And the the idea for diabetics doing things – oh, you all right? Uh, the idea for diabetics doing things uh, was just like uh, when you search for things when you're diagnosed, you search for diabetics doing whatever it is the thing you're doing. For me, it was playing basketball. For somebody else, it might be – going to college, um, you know, or, you know, uh, fighting MMA, whatever the case is. And so, um, I decided that that would be a great way to tell stories about people and that I could actually get done. And so that was pretty much it started it in the end of 2015. And now we're like two years in. That's super cool, man. Um, I, I really like that S- similar to myself. Um, that's actually how we're having this conversation today. I was, um, when I was at that point in my life where I wasn't really sure if I wa- if I I was wanted to keep fighting, but I wasn't sure if I'd be able to because, like like I touched about, I didn't want to do things half ass for lack of better terms. Um, so it was either kind of like if I'm not going to be able to be the best at this, I, I think I should stop now and find something else I can be the best at. And so I did a lot of homework. You know, I I, I did everything I could. Like I had a. Uh, animus rep actually who put me in touch with uh, i think the dude was on the american ninja warrior so similar to what i did but when i would google or search on on youtube or every everywhere i could man there was nobody fighting with that mma or combat sports with diabetes that i could find and i was just like man like if i could just if there was someone there who could just tell me like no man like it's not as big deal as as you think just go ahead and do it and and this is what i found helped me and maybe this will help you or maybe don't try that like how much more like peace of mind and like stress i could have avoided during those times how much that would have helped me so i was just like whatever man i I, like no one's here i may as well fill this slot and and jump on jump on it and, and be there for people and since then man like writing every article I could and, and getting, getting my story out there. I, like I was saying, I probably have one person reach out to me across like all my platforms, like Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, so it's super good to know I, I'm just helping people. So no one kind of goes through what, what I went through at the time. Yeah, man, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, telling your story, being available. And I think, you know, getting involved with, with social media communities now has never been, never been easier um, to get connected to the right people. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really glad you're on this as well because, um, you know, I'll have now two, both a female and a male perspective on the podcast. 
uh, for fight sports and combat sports and MMA. So maybe the next time somebody gets diagnosed, uh, they'll have you guys to rely on and we'll be able to reach out and, uh, and, and ask you questions or rely on you or, you know, you might be their hero. Who knows? And just with, with anything too, man, like even in my own community here or through some of the, uh, like my connection at Dexcom and my old connection at Animus, like I, I felt like too, even if it's not helping people with MMA, like younger kids that get diagnosed and they want to play soccer or hockey, like with the, with the tech, like we didn't even 10 years ago when I was playing, doing that stuff myself, we didn't have the technology to do that. Like being 13, let alone like a six, seven, eight year old kid whose mom maybe doesn't want them playing soccer with all their buddies because it's an active sport and they might go low. Well, if they see me using my CGM fighting in a cage, they'll, they like, who knows? They could be like, well, if this kid can fight in the cage with it and I'm just sitting here on a sports field checking my son's CGM, this is, this is totally okay. You know what I mean? And I wanted to ask you about that because, um, I, I assume you treat with injections. Do you treat multiple daily injections for your diabetes? I did, and I found it was such a headache with my blood sugars uh, oh, when I, I was training. Well, well, and you also mentioned Animus, so I apologize. So yeah, so do you? You're a pump. You're a pumper now. I switched to the pump and the CGM at the same time, and uh, yeah, it, it was one of the best decisions I could have made. Oh, I totally agree. I think. And anybody who wants to follow up on this conversation and talk about pump CGMs, yeah, definitely let us know because. I agree. I mean, when I, I fought, I resisted getting a pump for way too long. And when I got it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, where do you wear, I, I assume you take your pump off for your cage matches. Where do you wear your CGM when you fight? I wear it on my butt. Um, I got about three or four good, good um, sites per side that I can rotate through that I don't mind. Whether, whether it's just my skin um, that's just what works for me. I'm not saying it, if it's right or wrong. If I do need a break, I'll use the top of my quad there. Uh, I find it gets in the way a little bit more. It's funny, man. I have never had a CGM fall off me in my life. And when I fought in Grand Prairie in July, um, I normally cover it with rock tape, which is just a very thick, strong, um, sticky form of, of uh, kinetic tape. And I forgot it in Kelowna before I flew out, so I didn't have any on. And the sensor actually snapped right off in my compression shorts with uh, in the middle of the fight. I felt it go, and I was just like, oh, great. And uh, I fought the rest of the fight with it in my compression shorts. I uh, got changed after the fight, and there it was. So uh, the only time I've ever had to come off training, you know what I mean, five hours a day, uh, two hours in the morning, three hours at night, and the one time it comes off is during a during a 15 minute fight. So you know I didn't really get too mad about it. I, I had a good little chuckle about how ironic that was. Um, and in terms of my pump, I, I'll rotate that guy between my stomach, my quads, and my butt as well. I definitely I've had my infusion site come out three times. All of them when they were on my stomach on the training mats. Um, not like it's a big deal. You know I was like oh it came off finished up my practice and just put a new one in no biggie yeah that, that happened to me once on the basketball court like i took my pump out when i when i played but obviously my sight was still there and i like dove on the floor for a loose ball and i remember my stomach hit the floor and it just and i kind of skidded and that sight just rolled up and ripped out I was like, Ugh, that was a that was a tough one but yeah pretty much just like up oh, we'll put a new sight in and we'll go from there 
Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people almost put too much weight in that. Oh, what if it what if it comes out? What if this happens? What if what if that happens? Like really, like it, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? It takes all of three seconds to put a new one in. Right. Well, um, I know you. Uh, I think I, named, I even heard your alarm go off. Are we good on time? Do you have time for to answer one more question or a couple more questions? Yeah, absolutely. I'm okay over here. Okay, good. Um, so quite, you had another question for me, I believe, about more about like social media and, and things, I believe. Yeah, I actually found found you through someone else that I follow posting uh, the link that they did an article with you. So I was keeping an eye on your social media uh, f- for about a month or two from afar. And I just I just noticed your incredible growth. So I was just curious if you like what tips you had on growing your platform on an Instagram page. Cause I noticed, uh, you were doing it exceptionally well. Oh, thanks man. I, I think the, it's cool that you got to hear about, uh, about my, or about the podcast and about me through another guest. What other guest before I tell you the secrets, before I tell you all my secrets I, behind the curtain. I, be- I believe, um, I forget her name. I believe her Instagram tag was type one active. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Probably- yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, I followed her for a little bit just because she was doing something that was uh, similar to what I was doing, and uh, I liked what she was posting. Like, I like seeing stuff that helps me think in a positive way every day on Instagram, especially because I spend a fair bit of my time scrolling Instagram for ideas, inspirations, uh, stuff like that. So um, when I saw your podcast pop up, I actually started following you just to kind of see what you were about, and I I really liked the material, so I decided to reach out to you and see if we could set something up and here we are yeah um it's interesting yeah i I never think necessarily or i you know never would say like you know with type one active for example uh i think her name is nicole i'm not sure uh off the top of my head and i'm sorry for not remembering but um the it's interesting the the similarities between like a fight sport and like i think aerial yoga and stuff that she does is that's very interesting um yeah, I just have to. I just have to correct you before we get going here. Her name is uh, Rowana. Oh yeah, Rowena. Yeah, Rowena. Okay, sure. Rowena, great. Sorry. Uh, well, I apologize, Rowena. You're you're great. In that episode <laughs> is good. Um, so I was trying to get it to, to pull up on my phone, and it just wouldn't do it. Um, so anyway, back to your original question. Um, the growth. I think. Um, back to what we were talking about earlier about quick fix. Like consistency is everything. So. Consistency and authenticity. So a big part, like I said, two years ago, I started doing this, uh, been very consistent with a few things in terms of content and engagement uh, in that time, trying to just continue to you know, push the rock up the hill little by little by little by little. Um, and so I think an important thing, especially with social media, I see a lot of diabetes accounts pop up Um and, and I kind of laugh and I love, and I love the enthusiasm because I think, uh, there are a few accounts like mine who have even been a lo- around a lot longer and it's a grind. It takes a while, uh, there. And at the beginning, I think it can be really exciting. Um, uh, and sometimes, you know, you just sort of get worn out, but I think the people that, uh, continue on and can keep finding that message and really find that sort of niche, are the ones that win, uh, whatever it is, whether it's social media or it's, you know, mixed martial arts or it's chess. Um, I think we have this expectation as adults that whenever we try something new or creative that we want to be good at it right away. And a lot of times, and this is the case with mine as well, it wasn't as good at the beginning. 
but you keep doing it long enough and you can get better and better and better and you just learn tips and tricks and you just refine your craft um, and you get better at it. And so, you know, now we have intro music on the podcast, you know, the graphics are better. I learned, I've learned and, uh, and evolved in that amount of time as well. So, um, yeah, I think that sticking with it, keeping consistent, staying authentic, not selling out. Uh, those are the things that, um, that I think make up a successful social media, uh, account of, you know, whether advocacy or anything else. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the insight. Yeah, man. Um, okay. I got one last question for you. Um, you, I know have done a fair amount of traveling. Um, so the question is if you are in an airport, um, and you're, they're going to close the door to your gate in 30 seconds and you can't miss this flight. You got to fight on the other end or whatever it is. Um, but you run into somebody who's either been recently diagnosed or struggling with their type one diabetes. Um, what do you tell them? What's the one thing you tell them in that 30 seconds, uh, before you have to hop on that plane? Oh, buddy, that, I, I feel like this is an easy one. I give them my, uh, give them my email address, my Facebook, and my Instagram. So now I don't just get to share 30 seconds of what helped them or helped me throughout my 20 years, but we can communicate. I can follow his story. He can follow my story. And uh, we can be there in each other's day-to-day lives to help each other if if that's what uh, either one of us needs. And uh, who knows where that relationship can grow to, right? Technology is so helpful nowadays. It would just be silly not to take full advantage of it. I love it. I think you're the first person that actually said that. <laughs> the, the, like, <laughs> uh, a lot of people answer the question uh, a few different ways, uh, whether they say, you know, screw you, Rob, missed, I'm missing my flight, or, you know, they give a great insight in a short amount of time. But yeah, uh, I think you're one of the first ones that's just like, hey, let's just connect and handle this on social media. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like, of like may, maybe it's from when I did sales or whatever, but I, I really like win-win scenarios. You know what I mean? Like I get the win because I hate being stressed. I hate being rushed and I hate being stressed. It drives me mental. So if I can just continue on my on the gate to my flight without worrying about coming that, like, that close to missing it and this person can get my 20 years of knowledge, I feel like that's a pretty good win-win. I totally agree, man. Well, Kevin, man, it was great to meet you and and chat with you. You're a super enlightened guy, uh, and I I really am looking forward to uh, kind of keeping track of what you're up to and seeing what the next thing is and, you know, potentially working together in the future. Yeah, likewise, man. It was really refreshing to uh, talk to someone like-minded like yourself, and uh, definitely um, I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Yeah, man. Uh, Take it easy, and I'll include all the relevant links to your social media in the show notes. Perfect. I appreciate it, my friend.